Hello, Canada, and welcome to another episode of Canadian Common Sense. This is Canadian Common Sense with Lewis and Tony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is July 27th, 29th, sorry, 2020. And welcome to another edition of Canadian Common Sense. It's Tony here in Alberta today. And Lewis out here in BC. And I am hot and bothered, and it's not because it's 37 degrees. I like the 37 degrees idea. It's only 31 here, but hot and bothered we are because... We is a charity that just keeps on giving for us. It is. CFL. Yeah. And the CFL has found a hub city, but still no season. And more information on the Nova Scotia shooting, Nova Scotia shooting back in April. Apologies for that. And most important, uh, good to talk to you again, Lewis. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long week. I mean, this this. We this we charity scandal just keeps on giving, like you said. I mean, every day there's at least one revelation, and uh, in the last couple of days we've had uh, we've had some pretty crazy revelations. Uh, the one that we found out about today was when Pierre Poliev held a news conference and uh, revealed that. We Charity has spent over $200,000 in uh, covering travel expenses for the Trudeau family. Isn't that something? Well, that's something I had not heard yet. Um, but speaking of Mr. Trudeau, he is set to testify tomorrow. And because of the, the Liberals on the filibustering and essentially stretching the meeting out over time, Mr. Trudeau now will only have to testify for one hour instead of the three hours that the committee was trying to get him to testify for. So I suppose at our end means we're only going to have to listen to one hour of um, 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 jobs for Canadians, um, Canadian students, um, um, um. but I want to make him sweat. Yeah, I mean, an hour isn't going to get any answers. I mean, you see that the Kielbergers were four hours and we didn't learn enough out of them. I mean, an hour with Trudeau, who, you know, has this ability of speaking for five minutes, but only getting two minutes of words out of his mouth is, is, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be really kind of meaningless and pointless. I do worry about that, and I know that uh, Michelle Douglas was actually set to testify. I'm not sure if that was today or yesterday. Uh, the former CEO from We, and she left under some, I can't say shady circumstances. The reason that she left is she said she was unable to do her job because of not only was the We charity constantly moving their, their year-end date, so, you know, you know, changing their fiscal year, but she says just the sheer number of different companies under the Wii umbrella was making it too difficult for her to do her job well. So I'm really, really want to know what she had. It wasn't the only thing that, that had her quit her job. The other, she said, was that 
uh, she would ask for fiscal uh, statements and updates and and all of that. And the Kielbergers would um, block them from uh, arriving on her desk. Uh, oh, yeah. So like she would request these these documents and they would never arrive. And uh, so it wasn't just her that quit. And it wasn't just her that quit. It was the entire board. Oh, okay. I had not heard that. Wow. So uh, this really does just keep getting better. Yeah. So, and I mean, so with that 200,000 plus in travel expenses for the Trudeau family, we has given the Trudeau family between speaking fees and travel expenses and everything, $566 million. And, or sorry, $566,000. And, um, uh, and I, I know that, that the, uh, the former CEO there, she said that, uh, it came as a surprise to her that, uh, they were paying Margaret Trudeau and, uh, Alexander Trudeau because, um, they don't pay their speakers. They don't, but I, I have a funny feeling that I, I know why they were paying these particular speakers, because prior to the Justin Trudeau government being elected in 2015, we used to receive annual government grants to the tune of about $500,000 a year. After 2015, when Justin Trudeau became prime minister, the dollar amount of grants to we began to average $5 million dollars a year yeah how about exactly and so i mean this is this is looking more and more like a like criminal activity not just ethics not not just ethics violations this i think the rcmp need to get involved but the problem is is that the rcmp answer to the minister of public safety Exactly. Yep. And unfortunately, the commissioner of the RCMP, as we've discussed before, is appointed directly by the PMO and just happens to be a cousin of the finance minister. How about and that? she seems to be heavily influenced by what the PMO has to say, because she said there was no such thing as systemic racism in the RCMP until Justin Trudeau said, oh, wait a minute. And then she changed her story and suddenly the RCMP is riddled with systemic racism. So she takes her marching orders from, from, uh, from the, from the uh, liberal government. Oh, quite clearly she does. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's very disappointing because as we've already, you know, seen so much evidence of the ethics commissioner has, you know, a very, I think very noble intent but absolutely no power to really punish or make any kind of effective, you know, deterrent for these guys. I mean, really the ethics commissioner, if as far as I'm concerned, if you're found in violation of the ethics rules, you lose your job right now because this is not a job that should, that you should be going, Oh, you know, you get another chance. Oh, you get another chance. Oh, you get another chance. And that's what it's becoming with the Trudeau government. Oh, you know, every single time it's, oh, $500 fine. And you get another chance. And 
because there is no like there's no way to get rid of these people and this is a position in the government like the, the, being in government should be taken extremely seriously and if you have a one strike and you're out rule these people would take it extremely seriously good point yeah i actually think you're you're right about that and it's obvious that these people don't take it seriously and i'm I'm still ticked off with the Bill Morneau situation, and I realized that I'd ranted about this as well, but I still got some more fury about this because, I mean, you and I together would, if we had a vacation with, with all of our families and our wives and our children and all of us went together, A, we probably still wouldn't spend $41,366 on a, on a vacation. And if we did, we would know. We would know that, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, we better pay that $41,000 back because that's a considerable hit on the two families, not just one guy and his, and his family. Yeah, I mean, let's be real here. If there was any intention of this being paid for by the Morneaux, the charity wouldn't have paid for it in the first place. Well, yeah, exactly. You'd yeah. be booking your own flights and all of that kind of stuff. The The... The, the, you're not going to make the charity pay for it unless you're planning on not paying it back. Well, yeah, and I think it was actually even referred to as a gift from the charity at one point, and then it was, of course, as soon as he got caught, oh, well, I didn't realize that I had not reimbursed them for the gift. It's like, go to you-know-where, you jerk. Yeah. And now, I, I want to talk about some things that we have found out over the past several days include i think between the last episode and now and some of these things that we find out are that the government originally said that the we charity be paid 19.5 million dollars to administer a 915 billion dollar uh, uh grant program that's right right $912 yeah. million. What did I say? Billion. Oh, $912 million <laughs> uh, grant program, and they were going to be paid $19.5 million for it. Uh, and then we find out from Bardish uh, Chagger, the Minister of Youth, that the contract was actually for $43 million. And that $19.5 million was just the first payment of three. Now, then we find out, because they released the documents, the contract, so that the public could see what it says, we find out that they were going to be paid $43 million to administer a $500 million program, not a $912 million program. And if the program went beyond $500 million, the charity would be paid more. Now, when, wow. when uh, Vashi Kapalos on uh, Power and Politics questioned Bartish Chagger on why uh, the $43 million get this, it's in the contract, 
get this. The $43 million would be available for the We Charity to take payment, 100% of the payment of $43 million within one week of the program being announced. Now, I did hear that. And, yeah, that was... Uh... And Bartish Jagger, her response was they had to make sure that they had the funds to, to get the personnel and the infrastructure, such as computers and all of that kind of stuff, up and running. My question is, you told us that, like Bartish Chagger, you told us, along with Trudeau yeah. and Morneau and Christia Freeland, that the We Charity was the only organization in the country who had the personnel and infrastructure to pull this off. And now you're telling me that you have to pay them $43 million up front so that they can hire the personnel and get the infrastructure. Which is it? Next we find... And next we find out that... Remember how... Remember they told us... Remember Christia Freeland and the PMO and Bill Morneau and Bartish Chagger, they all told us, you know, that... Yeah, they shouldn't. That, that Trudeau and Morneau should not have been involved in the vote or any of the discussions in relation to the We Charity getting this contract. But that the entire cabinet voted on the charity, uh, voted on it, and all, every member of the cabinet had a hand in awarding this uh, contract to the charity. You remember them saying that? I do. Okay. This is what we found out yesterday. The Trudeau government paid We Charity Foundation, We Charity Foundation, which, by the way, is not a charity and not part of the We Charity. It's a shell company with no employees. And so we find out yesterday that the Trudeau government paid the We Charity Foundation $30 $30 million on May 5th, 17 days prior to that vote happening in the cabinet. Oh! Wasn't well, that interesting? And you brought up, I think, what is the best part of this is that money did not go to We Charity. It went to We Charity Holdings. And so you got to say, okay, if it's we charity that is the organization to administer this this program yada yada then why is we charity holdings who just happens to have 47.5 million dollars worth of downtown toronto real estate in their in their holdings as well as several properties in kenya which they very quickly transferred to a different shell company within the we umbrella why are they getting that money that's right there are so many questions here this is this is criminal. It is criminal. It absolutely and is. there is no way that our prime minister should remain in office. There is no way that our finance minister should remain in office. And they should be investigated by the police. Because, I mean, 
They paid the they paid We Charity Foundation thirty million dollars seventeen days before the vote in cabinet. So, that, yeah, that, now, what the hell? Oh, absolutely. But I will actually just a, a word of caution for you, Lewis, because I care about you. Um, remember East Francois Blanchette. So if you do speak out against Mr. Trudeau, Mr. Morneau, um, there's going to be some woman who's going to remember that you sexually assaulted her possibly 20 years ago or maybe 23 years ago. Did you say something or did you look at her wrong? Maybe you touched her. Um, well, maybe or maybe you just said hello. Uh, well, regardless, you, my friend, are going to be in trouble. Well, I don't know what to say about that, but it's, it's, this is, this, it's just, I'm just flabbergasted. I, I, I'm, and, and, and to think that his, his, his numbers in the polling data would still give him a minority government at this point. Well, that's what bothers me. I mean, we've had enough time now that we can digest this whole thing. And I guess we more and more breaks every day. And I get that polling is usually a, about a week behind. But for that, the, the Trudeau Liberals to have only dropped 6%? What the actual hell, Canada? I mean, there's people are, uh, I know it's summer, but that's when people talk about this stuff at family barbecues and all that kind of stuff. But the thing is, is that people are seem to be a little preoccupied with the circus that's happening down south with regards to uh, um, Trump and, oh, everything. and everything down there. You know, Canada, it's about time you start paying attention to the circus that's happening in Ottawa. Like, you guys are ignoring what's happening in your own damn country because the circus in the States is more interesting. We've got an actual alleged criminal as a prime minister. Allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, I mean, allegedly. Absolutely, it's alleged that that's, that's the case. But being... Yeah, Canada, you got to understand that this is something we all need to be worried about because it's our tax dollars that are getting thrown around like this willy-nilly, and this is criminal. And I don't get how, you know, Justin Trudeau gets effectively a pass when he's, A, shut down Parliament. Yes, Jagmeet Singh did, uh, did help him with that. But I mean, they've shut down Parliament. They've shut down debate. They filibustered on the Ethics Committee. And it's just, like you said on the, to start the show, every day there's something new on this Wii scandal. And you've dropped six bloody points. Like, I mean, you and I have asked this so many times in the show, is what does he have to do? Um, I honestly think that, if he kicked a puppy or a kitten on the steps of Parliament Hill, people would just shrug their shoulders and go, "Yeah, that's Justin." Like I just, I'm, I'm beside myself. What does he have to do? Well, not only that, forget if if the wee scandal doesn't make you angry enough, this one should. The federal government employees 
that stayed home and did not work during COVID-19. They didn't work from home. They didn't work from the office. They stayed home like all these other people in Canada who were on CERB. They got paid their full wages. Yep, federal, and they were so far... Federal government employees, and this, this number, this is a giant number, this number is only until the end of May, and it's over $600 million. Yep, and there was... Uh, now, I can't remember where the guest was from, but I was on the Roy Green Show this weekend. Jody Vance was guest hosting, and she interviewed this fellow, and, and, she, and he even admitted that the numbers from the Parliamentary Budget Office did not factor in their benefits and pension contributions, et cetera, from these employees. And he said, at this point, there was only 76,000 employees that they had been able to track, but he was confident that there was a lot more than just 76,000. And he said, that figure is probably going to be closer to a billion dollars that we paid federal civil servants to sit at home and do nothing. This, this gets better. This gets better. You do nothing. And not just that, but for all you folks in the private sector or even in the provincial government employee who had to first exhaust all of your sick time, your vacation time, your personal days, or whatever other kind of leave you could access before you'd be able to access this program that these folks are on. Well, they didn't have to do that. No. They're still going to have all of their sick time, holiday days, everything when they get back because they accessed a little-known program that allows them just to take leave for whatever reason necessary, and they're getting paid their full goddamn salaries for sitting at home and doing nothing. And this is going on 11 weeks. Yeah, and this is, it's, it's called 699. It's a, it's a billing it. code that federal, federal uh, civil servants use when they don't have enough work to do they bill their time to 699 and that's where all of these employees were billing their time when they were staying at home and it and so get this it's all like i know who you're talking about on the uh, roy green show this weekend it was uh it was a conservative mp he was uh, uh, a critic the uh, i can't remember which critic he is and i can't remember his name um, but he, uh, but they said that once you factor in all the all the uh, 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 benefits and find all the other employees that that build their time to six nine nine, that number is going to be closer to a billion dollars, and that is only until the end of May, and we are now at the end of July. Oh my God! Yeah, you're right too. So now the world's uh. Well, let's, let's double that. There's figure. another two. There's Honestly. another two months of numbers to come out still. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and that's that's disgraceful. I mean, I uh, I understand that you know there's union contracts in place because they work with Public Service Alliance, and I'm sure that anybody could probably get some Public Service Alliance of Canada representative on the radio to tell us why it's justified and why it's legal that they they access this fund, but. Even for one second, think of the ethics here. If you don't work, why are you getting paid? Well, and but but if 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 
CERB was good enough for the rest of Canada, why wasn't it good enough for the federal employees? Even better point. Yep. It's like, this is, this is unbelievable. I mean, when it comes to the federal government, our tax dollars mean nothing. It means nothing that Canadians who make an, who, who overall Canadians make like an average salary of something like $55,000 a year. Yeah, somewhere have, around there. Yeah. Have to, their, their tax dollars are just being spent like, like, like it's just coming from like, well, like my mom used to say, like it grows on trees. Well, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, you hit it on the head when you said they have absolutely no regard for taxpayer dollars. And I've even heard the, the term starting to creep into public discourse now that, oh, it's public money. No, no, it's not public money. It's my money. It's your yeah. money. It's Canada's money. It's not public money. No, it's this is it's getting out of hand. And honestly, I I have told you this before. And I am telling you again, this this country, as well as the United States and possibly some other countries, are in deep, deep trouble of staying together. I don't think I think Texas will be the first state to leave the U.S. when things go bad here. Uh, I think, you know, Western Canada is on its way out. I think all these and it's all going to happen in the, in the next five years or so, because I'm telling you people, it's getting bad and it's getting bad real soon. And just the fact that gold and silver are hitting, uh, are hitting really high numbers right now. Gold is at an all time high. That only happens when people stop investing in the U S dollar, when they stop investing in the Canadian dollar, when the value of those currencies start dropping, that's when the price of gold and the price of silver start going up. Silver increased by 10% on Monday alone. Like this, this wow, is the US, or, uh, gold ha- is at $2,000 an ounce. It's never been that high before. It's, it's getting really crazy. Like, Things are going to get bad and they're going to get bad, real bad, over this coming winter. And we're going to start seeing some hyperinflation. And that's where the where the gold and the silver price is going up like this. That's what it's pointing to, is hyperinflation. And when hyperinflation happens, well, hyperinflation. And when hyperinflation happens governments are not going to be able to pay their, or they're not going to be able to service their debt. And they're going to start going bankrupt. And when country, when federal governments and provincial governments start going bankrupt, country does not stay together. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, and, and we've talked about this on previous shows that hyperinflation is coming, and I, 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 I see absolutely no, you know, indications that that's not the case. That, you know, that it's not coming because a government can't just pour money out being there they're using a bulldozer to push the money out they're pushing so much out right now and they can't sustain that and what bothers me about the whole situation is 
Yeah, I think that you're going to see, at the very least, if the country doesn't break up, I think that the very least you're going to see is provinces like Alberta or Saskatchewan, uh, British Columbia, if they get a government that's got a backbone, will start to say, hey, you know what, we're going to have to build little firewalls around our, our provinces to protect ourselves. And that'll mean you'll have, you know, potentially 10 Quebecs who all are, you know, decentralizing power into their own provinces and saying to the federal government, like, stay out of our way. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I just, I just don't see good times ahead, man. I don't see good times ahead and I think things are going to get bad and I don't see countries staying together because of this. I think when they start going bankrupt and they can't provide the services, they can't provide the social programs. I think things are going to get really nasty. And all this rioting that's happening in the U.S., it may come to Canada. Yeah, well, especially when you talk about yeah, the social programming, because that's what most of the Antifa folks live on. And I know that's stereotyping, but I'm not backing away from that statement. Because a lot of these, these Antifa or these you know, social justice warriors tend to be people who live in their parents' basement or are still in their parents' house. So... Yeah, they they like their social and programs. They tend to, and so they, I'll conclude. Yeah, our, they tend to be uh, middle to upper class kids. Like true, yeah, middle to right. upper class white kids. That's that's who most of these Antifa and a lot of these uh, the white the white uh, uh, protesters for Black Lives Matter. That's who they are. They're white upper middle class kids. And it it just blows my mind. I don't understand it. Oh, exactly. Yeah. So we'll wrap up the we discussion to uh, just remind everybody in Canada that Justin Trudeau is set to testify tomorrow. <coughs> Excuse me. And Pierre Polyev had put out a tweet. I want to say yesterday, it might even have been Monday, to say that you know his prediction. Watch that Justin Trudeau will have forgotten about. Some, some trips that his family took and pay them back just before he testifies. I'm really curious to see if that prediction comes true. Yeah. Me too. Obviously, they, the only paid speakers for the WE Foundation happen to have the last name Trudeau, so I would not be one bit surprised if there was you know, some, some free vacations that, oops, we forgot to pay for. Yeah. So, so yeah, but Let's watch for that, Canada. But yeah, we'll move on to uh, our next topic here because we uh, we spent well just enough time on this, as far as I'm concerned. Because this we're not we're not done talking about this, Canada. We're we're going to have a lot more to be revealed tomorrow when Mr. Trudeau speaks at the with the finance. Yeah. All right. So briefly, the Canadian Football League, which any regular listener to the show knows, Lewis and I are big fans of have chosen Winnipeg to be the hub city for the 2020 season, but <laughs> because we kind of need some players. And the CFL Players Association has yet to come to an agreement with the CFL, so we might have a hub city with no teams showing up to play. Yeah, I, I think the CFL needs to just say, you know what? We're just going to scrap this year and we're going to plan for next year because uh, the CFL players are balking at 
reduced pay. Um, and I mean, part of me understands that it's, it's, you know, you're putting your body on the line and let's be honest, you're putting your brain on the line, uh, to play football. And in the CFL, they don't make a lot as it is. And, uh, I I mean, the average salary in the CFL is like $80,000 or something. It's, it's not that high. They don't make a lot of money. And if they only play half a season, they're only going to make 40 grand on average. And, um, and they all have jobs in the off season that, that are probably paying more or right around the same as what they'd be, what they're going to be getting paid to play football. And, and if they're only going to play for a few, for just a few short months, uh, they're probably giving up jobs that, that are paying well, that they're going to need next year, you know? And uh, so part of me understands, but the other part of me is what they don't understand. What the players don't understand is that the CFL is a gate driven league. And if there's no fans in the building, they're not making very much money. Like, in fact, they're making whatever the TV deal pays. And that is nothing. It's not very much. It's only a few million dollars a year for the whole league. Well, yeah. And I mean, you said it right there. There was actually, uh, there was a former player. I can't remember his name, but he, he interviewed us at a local radio station in Saskatoon. And he was just saying that what you said, like the, CFL players, especially the ones who aren't marquee players, don't make a lot of money. And for those who live in the States, which is half of the players, they have to come up here, deal with a very small paycheck, factor it in exchange rate because they're still living in the United States and often their families are down there. And he said it's just not worth it for a lot of these players who aren't the marquee players to come. So a lot of them probably won't come because love of the game is just simply not enough. He said, so honestly, the CFL has applied for its $120 million relief package, which, you know, it may or may not get. But he says he was kind of in the same camp as you. He was just saying that maybe we just got to cut our losses and look toward 2021. Yeah, I think that's what they got to do. Because, I mean, I think that the image, the damage to the CFL image is is uh, with with them making effort after effort after effort to get this season going and failing every time is going to be irreparable. I I think it's going to make them look like a Mickey mouse league. And, um, and it's not, it's not going to reflect well on them and it's, and it's going to do a lot of damage. I think, I think they need to just scrap this, the 2020 season and prepare for next year. Well, unfortunately, I think I'm starting to come around to that way of thinking. I mean, they've they've applied for the relief money. I hope they get it because, you know, if any entertainment franchise needs it, it is the CFL. And it's already almost August. So if they get players up to Winnipeg, get any kind of a training camp in and get a season started, we're not looking at starting a season until at the very earliest September. Yeah. And so what are they going to get? Six games at the very most? Uh, I mean, you can't condense a football season because it is just too hard on the players' bodies. You can't get these players to play two games a week because physically it's just uh, that's just you're asking too much. Yeah, absolutely. And, and in the 
uh, so the, and now they were talking originally about having a Grey Cup in uh, December, and yeah. so I mean, you're gonna and, and if Winnipeg is the hub city and that's an outdoor building, uh, you're gonna be playing games in November in Winnipeg. Yeah, and imagine having a championship in December in Winnipeg. I mean, I realize Winnipeg is the butt of a lot of cold weather jokes. And rightfully so, because it's going to be 30 below. And it's the coldest. It's windy as hell. It's the there. coldest city in Canada. It's yeah. called Winterpeg. I mean, it's, it is the coldest uh, larger center in Canada. There's obviously colder towns and stuff, but but this is one, but it's a, one of the major cities of Canada, and it is the coldest in the country. Like the least they could have done was pick BC Place, considering they have probably the nicest building in the league uh, with the giant screens and everything. Right? I mean, it's a beautiful building. The renovations that they did there—they're gorgeous. Uh, or Toronto which is another indoor building, right? at least pick an indoor building <laughs> that you could play these games late into the, into the winter. Yeah, well, and honestly, BC would have been the best choice because uh, I'd actually had commented on a different thread on, on Twitter, I believe it was, and someone had said that the Rogers Centre has now been, or uh, Skydome, whatever, had been reconfigured for baseball so it really wasn't even a, a good football venue anymore but even in toronto in december the weather's not that great in vancouver winters are uh, i mean it's canada's florida the winters get down to around zero but they don't get cold there so outdoor practice facilities would l- at least be an option not, in vancouver so not really vancouver would have been the place not really Outdoor outdoor facilities would not really be an option. It, it rains constantly, and well, I guess it, there is. Yeah, I mean, when you're talking October, November, December, it's raining constantly, and if it's down in that five degree, and it's five degrees and raining, it's it's much more miserable than uh, than say playing when it's ten below zero, like it, in Calgary, like it's. It, it's awful. <laughs> I used to. I lived there. For, I lived oh. there for a year, and it was the worst year of my life. <laughs> okay. Well, there is that, I guess. But they could. But they could. But yeah, least, I mean, just for the indoor yeah, building. But I mean, they could at least take turns on the field in the indoor building, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I. Uh, I really hope the CFL gets it sorted out, and as much as I really want to see the game i'm i'm afraid i have also resigned myself to fall into into your camp that let's just let it go focus on 2021 yeah and can i just say that the fan the artificial fan noise at the baseball games is really really stupid it is and although i i will have to admit that as much as i hate the artificial fan noise um and this is not a racial statement at all. I'm still enjoying watching MLB much better than watching the Korean League. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> with, with the with the blow up dolls. <laughs> well, and the, and the two cheerleaders in the stands who look like they completely hate their jobs because they've got absolutely no energy yeah. to 
draw from yeah, the well, crowd. The Green, the green <laughs> Baseball League had had blow up sex dolls in the uh, in the stands as as fans. As the fans, yeah, they got got in trouble for it. Yeah. Uh, so I. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy watching MLB, but yeah, you're right. The uh, that, that crowd noise has to yeah. go. All right, so we've got a few minutes left, and I think we should still have time to touch on this. We all know about the Nova Scotia shooting back in April, April 18th and 19th. And there was some information that initially come out about the shooter, and we've never named him on this show, and we never will because he does not deserve it. Uh, so it turns out that he had gotten his guns illegally, and... It turned out that one of the four guns he used that was legally purchased in Canada was an RCMP pistol that he had stolen from the officer that he had killed. And new information just came out this last week that this person had also been smuggling drugs and weapons across the Canada-U.S. border. Yeah. Regularly. Yes. And... He's also been on the receiving end of several hundred thousand dollars in mysterious payments. Yeah, now that was something I really was, uh, I tried to find a bit more on that. And there was, there was sort of a, an alleged tie to that saying that this is the kind of cash payments that only like registered RCMP informants would, would get in or the, and the methods were the way he was paid by walking into business X and walking out with a suitcase. Yeah. And I wasn't able to find anything more on that. So I don't know if no, it was... I don't. That he was an informant, or what and I heck? don't think we'll ever find out because I don't think we need will that they will let us find out because uh, something shady was going on there, and I don't think they're telling anybody the full truth. Well, see, now that I've heard about his smuggling weapons and drugs across the border, both directions, by the way, to me that actually ties. You know, to me, it makes a logical tie to these large payments that he had gotten through these regular RCMP informant channels. You know, allegedly, not no, not that he was or was not an informant, but it just when you make that connection, it 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 really starts to yeah, like you say, it just starts to get ugly, and it's just I, we probably will never be told the whole story on that, but. Boy, does that ever make me suspicious. It doesn't pass the smell test. It just doesn't. It stinks. Totally does, yeah. So, I mean, I'm glad that that person met the end that he did. But at the same time, boy, would that ever have been nice if that person had been able to talk. Yeah, absolutely. I think we would have learned some stuff that we don't know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and then... you look at that and then you look at the initial refusal of the Nova Scotia RCMP to, you know, have any kind of public inquiry and the refusal to talk period. And it's just like, okay, this is really starting to stink. Yeah. It stinks to high hell. I mean, and on top of the yeah. fact that the, uh, the Trudeau government jumped in with this weapons ban immediately uh, like it was prepared to go it, it, I mean there's just there's so many things that just don't make any sense yeah you know actually uh, speaking on that I'd heard an interview uh, Peter McKay had done with Canadian Taxpayers Federation and the, 
the way he had worded that was, you know, for this government to bring in this this gun ban on the heels of this tragedy before the funerals had even been conducted for the victims, uh, he said was was dirty and he said completely uncalled for. And even Peter McKay said it, it just there was just it just smacks of yeah, there's just something wrong with with the way they did it. And he said it was just I can't remember the exact word he used, but I mean to say underhanded would be an understatement. Yeah. So now you have some announcement to make about yourself. Um, do we want to do that on this show? I'm, I'm, I'm happy, I'm with, happy with it. Okay, sure. Uh, yeah. So there is an election coming up in Saskatchewan, October 26th of this year. It's going to be actually the first Canadian election post-COVID. So it's going to be, I think Canada is going to be watching for how we, uh, how we administer our election and how, how things go. But yours truly will be a candidate in the riding of Saskatoon Fairview for the Progressive Conservative Party of Canada, or of Saskatchewan, sorry. Congratulations, my friend. Thank you. I'm actually quite excited to, uh, to get going. And the government actually just released the restrictions on door-to-door soliciting this past weekend. So the campaign can actually be in full swing. The writ won't drop until September, mid-September. But we can, yeah, we can get out and campaign now. Well, I wish you all the luck, and uh, and I and I Thank know you. that you're gonna you're gonna do you and your family proud, and uh, and I hope you uh, I hope you come out of this victorious. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I mean, I'm not. I'm not gonna uh, assume that I'll win. I mean, I I think that I've got a shot, just like anybody who enters a campaign. So I'm looking forward to it. It's. And we'll talk more about this as the campaign goes on, too, because there are some interesting demographics in play, even right off the start, which uh, you and I can discuss off the show, and then we'll you know, be able to filter what we can put onto yeah. the show. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be exciting. I'm excited already. Yeah, right on. All right. Well, we'll close it there. We've got our time here. So uh, thank you all for joining us in Canada. And. I, I imagine you'll hear a rant from us by the end of the week, one of us, because like I say, Mr. Trudeau is going to testify tomorrow. So if there's anything earth shattering, we will uh, get that to you as quickly as we can. Yeah, we'll probably, but, you'll, you'll uh, probably get in the meantime, you'll probably get two rants from us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, in the meantime, uh, it's just Tony here vacationing in Alberta. And Lewis out here in the beautiful, 37 degree South Okanagan in British Columbia. All right, Canada. And we will talk to you again soon. Have a good good night. night. Tony.